Welcome to episode 15 of Something Inventive. Don't put all your eggs in one bucket. I ask if we rely on computers or software too much, and Al answers with a firm yes. We bring up some topical examples where software has failed and how people deal with the outcome, or don't, as the case most often is. And I wonder if now is the time for QR codes to shine. Well, we were just talking previously, um, before our previous deleting, uh, previous podcast got deleted, um, we were just talking about Richard Ayoade and the Crystal Maze, and uh, that's being restarted, and it just reminded me of an absolutely brilliant clip, I'm not sure if you've seen it, um, we can delete this off the podcast if it's not of interest, mm. <laughs> where Chris O'Dowd and Richard Ayoade from the IT crowd, they yeah. go to Vienna, and there's just a brilliant bit where Chris O'Dowd just does this genuinely, um, genuine fail in this snow globe <laughs> museum. <laughs> Anyway, I've sent you a link to it, and uh, you might want to watch that later. We can oh, I, I can imagine it's quite messy. It is absolutely brilliant. It's about one minute and ten seconds in. It is It is just hilarious. But, um, you can watch it now, or you can watch it afterwards. We can add it on the podcast, if it makes uh, sense. No, I'm going to watch it now, and then I can get my reaction afterwards. Uh, where, okay. where did you send the link? I, sent, I messaged it to you on Messenger. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, go to about one minute and ten seconds. So, just to set the scene, they're in they're in Vienna, and they're in this snow globe museum with lots of very expensive snow globes <laughs> and they're just pratting around but it just it's like the ultimate prat sort of fail it, it you've got to see it really i can't really describe it <laughs> okay let's see it's about one minute so in is it one minute and ten. Oh, it's got to wait for a lovely dairy milk advert oh They're huge, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Just keep watching. <laughs> so he does a fake drop and actually drops it. He does a fake sort of drop as if, oh, I've got to drop it. Ha, ha, ha. And then in so doing, he, act- he actually drops it for real. <laughs> And you can see it's completely genuine. You just the horror on his face. <laughs> he doesn't know to laugh or cry. <laughs> it's so funny seeing him in this because um, I, I I know him from comedy and, and from the It Crowd, but actually he's in um, is it Chris O'Dowd? He's in quite serious dramas as well. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Actually, Lou Lou um, um, has a quite a, a little something for him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He had his stag do uh, near us, and he was in our local pub. Well, down the road, about a mile down the road. Mm. Was he? Were you invited? No. No, he was on a canal boat at the time, giving canal boat uh, stag do around here, which is, um, yeah, it's one of those things you only find out about afterwards. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a shame, really. <laughs> yeah. I know, cool. Um, is the rest of that um, show interesting? Not as good. That's the best bit of it, to that's be honest. Okay. Yeah, but it, it's just a Richard Ayoade sort of, you know, um, sort of neurotic sort of observations. I'm just yeah. wondering how the crystal maze is going to, I haven't. I might, might watch it, even if it is a, just the celebrity one, which I tend not to watch on principle. I think um, there's um, a certain way to his dryness that is amusing. Mm. Uh, even actually with this, he didn't. He wasn't. You know, he, his he either maintained his character throughout and was still quite 
dry uh, and going, well, I'm glad that wasn't me, <laughs> sort of thing, <laughs> rather than, than like, ah, oh, you know, and he changes his character and come, his real personality comes out, but that's obviously him. I think that's actually him. I don't think he's acting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is actually him. He yeah. <laughs> so it's actually very dry and incredibly sarcastic. It must be effortless to, to yeah. act. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, shall we get on with the show? Let's get on with it. Um, so good to talk to you again, Al. I feel um, we've um, we've been talking a lot um, and seeing you. I've seen you a lot recently. And I, I can apologise. <laughs> but we're going to be getting together again. In fact, everyone in the team um, is going to be getting together on Sunday. We're going to um, do something that we don't normally do. So this is a bit of an experiment for us. It's quite exciting, I think. Uh, we're going to a client's um, race meet. I think you spoke about the, the client before. We haven't na- main, named names, but perhaps once the website's done and we've got everything together, we might um, share it with everyone. Yeah. Um, so they've got a race down in Castle Coombe. So we're going to be taking some video. Uh, so that's what Claire's managing and you're going to be doing some photography. And um, I'm just going to be helping out and doing doing what anyone else needs. Probably just running around with another iPhone and taking random shots here and there. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be an early start, but it, it's going to be, yeah, hopefully fun. Weather's looking good, which is always a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't no, know. Can they race in the wet? I don't know. It must be really... Um, maybe it's, it's just a bit quite, more interesting. Uh, quite treacherous, I would think. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was just reading on that the fastest lap time um, for Castle Coombe for, for their own amateur riders, and um, there's an average speed of 94 miles an hour. That's wow. his average speed, which is wow. phenomenal, isn't it? Been, yeah, because uh, you, you look at the angle they go round corners at, and I, I, just, I don't quite understand. I've seen cars often, and you know they want to be as low low to the ground as possible on the road, and really sticking to it as much as possible, whereas with bikes it feels that there's not much sticking to the road and they're, they're going to slide off the track at any moment. It does happen, doesn't it, unfortunately? Yeah, I know. So, it's, um, so what we're, we're hoping to do is, um, I think with a lot of that sort of racing, there's a lot of beautiful um, uh, photography of those bikes sort of caught in the action mid-slant, uh, I guess, around a corner. Um, and they look great. I think they're technically amazing shots, but we want to bring some, some life, so we're going to experiment with trying to... Um, um, really get a feel for the adrenaline and the movement. Whether that'll come off, I don't know. But um, this is why it's been an experiment to us because it's not really something we do. So I'm quite keen to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I've got a seven gigabyte um, <laughs> memory card, so that should do it. And two batteries yeah. which are fully charged, so it <laughs> should be okay for at least half an That's hour. That's the important bit. Um, Claire and I were actually talking about that the other day, and she's got a series of. Um, she was actually recommending getting a lower capacity. Um, SD card because they're less likely to fail. Yeah, that's true. And if they do, yeah. you've got you you split your shoot totally across agree. multiple cards. Totally agree with that. Yeah, that's a very good approach. I, it's not something I've thought about because I don't really shoot like that. We shoot onto the iPhone. If I do do anything, we don't do anything professional. Um, quite sensible, to be honest. Very sensible. You know, it, it they don't cost a huge amount, and it makes sense that you know if you're going to have some failure, you can split you you've you've split that across yeah um, multiple devices. And ultimately, I guess, um, I haven't really got a modern camera, but I'm sure a lot of modern cameras will just maybe copy it up somewhere as you're taking it, so you can never really lose it, which would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I, I did speak to Claire and ask if there was a device, like a hard drive, where you could push in your SD and it would just basically suck off the files and, and dump them on there ready, so you've got an immediate duplicate just in case. But I don't know. It's all new to me. I don't really do that sort of stuff. I'm sure, uh, that in, I'm sure in press, yeah, in the world of press, that's... There's loads of things like that. You know, you could yeah, unfortunately there's a way of managing it. She's yeah. also got some um, wireless mics as well. So hopefully for the interviews that we'll be wow. doing. Wow. So. Okay. 
And do you reckon um, I've got to, um, she sort of tried to prepare me for, because I'm doing some of the interviewing of okay. people. And I think that's fine for most of the, the uh, members and the, and the volunteers. But, um, you know, if we get to interview Guy Marston, I've got to have something. Is it is Marston? Marston? You don't even know his I name. I get that right. You don't even know his name. Right. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're an embarrassment. I'll get that right on the day. Go, Sorry, have, for go on Wikipedia and read about him. He's got the most incredible <laughs> no, I, work ethic. Yeah, incredible I, work ethic. Which I've is lots of programs with him. He's got uh, engaging accent, shall I say? It's very interesting. Um, but I don't know a huge amount about his background. So uh, rather mm. than me just going, hi, hi, hello, you're really famous. Um, it'd be nice to just have a few questions about the day and why he enjoys racing. He's really famous, but you don't know his surname. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go on, tell me. Tell me. It's Mark, Guy, Guy Martin. Martin. He's got two. He's got two first names. Yeah, I know it is. I know it is. But I think you know. Overall, I think it's useful and a good thing to do for um, you know agencies to go and experience what the client does. And sometimes you can't do that if there are solicitors. Then, well, maybe you could attend court or something. But um, with something that's fun and uh, and that's an event, I, th- I think it's um, yeah, if it's a no-brainer to go along and just experience it. I think it builds rapport with the clients. Um, I think it shows, a, a, you know, another level of interest and engagement from, from you. So, and it can only be a benefit, I think. So, um, um, yeah, it's a really good thing to do. So I would encourage if you're, you know, you're having, a, you know, a website done to invite your web designers along and, and web developers. Yeah, it just I, gives them another level of involvement and, and ownership of it, I think. I agree. And there may be uh, something that the designer, developer, copywriter will notice that they can bring some of that life in that maybe the client is not able to articulate or doesn't notice because they're in it all the time. Mm. Um, even if it's something that, you know, like um, a solicitor's where a lot of it is office-based, but actually if they can come around and go and visit clients, I'd love to do more of it. It's mm. often the, the budget or time isn't, isn't there. Uh, with this, we were able to, and it, it's quite an exciting thing. It's a day out. It's something interesting. Mm. We're, we're testing out some new abilities. But, um, yeah, I definitely agree. Very good idea to do it. I'm sure I read a while back there was some big company. I can't think who it is. Um, maybe Uber. No, I'm not sure. Anyway, they um, they sort of drive the busload of developers out to places <laughs> that they're sort of working on. Uh, and so they just, you know, it's like a field trip. <laughs> <laughs> There's all these wide-eyed developers on the bus looking out the window. But uh, they get off the bus as well, obviously. But um, it's the, this the idea bus. of just being involved and not just being remote all the time and being, you know, just it's not all code. It's like you're doing this code for this. And I just think it just really opens up, um, you know, a developer's sort of attitude and, uh, and ability and forward thinking, all these useful things that you can build into a project early on. Um, and passion as well, you know, it's if they're into it and they really like what the, you know, what they're working on, gonna it's going to be better, uh, mm. and it's going to be just more engagement. So, yeah, I think it's a good thing all round. I think it's not done enough. I think it's all very you know remote, and it's all just you know going through project managers and just emailing you know um, mockups and things. You know, I think it should oh. be much more much more integrated. Yeah, it's one of the things I really enjoy. I know with the um, guest house or um, no, the B and B we did recently in in, uh, in Hereford, that's one of the, th- the things very keen for you to come along. Um, as well at least for one meeting if if not more because obviously we might communicate on skype using video so we get to see them but going along for that first meeting and getting to meet them in person getting to see in this case the rooms and going around their grounds and getting a feel for wow this is this is more exciting than it it was in the pictures because the pictures look great but when you walk around you go this is we get more of a sense for what it would be like as a guest and that really helps us 
Yeah, and you just get to pick up their personality, which is a really unquantifiable thing. Okay, let's go to the ad. Be Sociable, our book, uh, which is a fun and easy to follow social media tips and strategy book to help you get noticed by the right people and for the right reasons. Um, you can get it on iPad, iPhone and Mac for just £9.99 on the iBook store. Or if you want a free copy, which I imagine you do, just go to ratherinventive.com, sign up to our newsletter, and at the bottom of the page, you will get the book straight away by email. So the book was written by Helen Caldercutt and me. Helen's a social media trainer in Worcester, and we're working together on a lot of workshops. And um, we're doing a lot of research. We wanted to make sure we're giving away the right information and that we're up to date. So we were scouring thousands of websites, videos, other books on, with tips, how-tos and discussion and so on. But there weren't very many that were concise and a lot were, were pretty awful. There's a lot to wade through. So we wanted to come up with something that brought all that together and just gave you the essence of what is useful. Some example tips like getting a recognisable profile name, talking to Twitter as a person so you're much more friendly and um, yourself or stalking customers on LinkedIn. If you'd like a copy, just search for Be Sociable Ben on Google, or you can visit our website and click Social Book in the menu. It's just 9 99 and I really thank you if you're supporting us on that. Or if you want a free copy, which is equally fine with me, visit ratherinventive.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and just subscribe to our newsletter. That's all you have to do. Okay, moving on, we've got a couple of topics. And they are not specifically questions that people have asked, but they're just interesting questions that maybe Al and I should tackle. So um, I'm going to push this one over to you, Al, because you brought, brought this one in. And the title is, or the question I should say, is do we rely too much on computer programs? Mm. Well, it's just something that's there's been so many things happening lately that have really just started to uh, not worry me, but... Um, just find it really interesting um, how we've become, we have become very reliant on computer programs and computer systems working constantly all the time, mm. flawlessly. And um, I think what um, what raised my sort of uh, worriness level, <laughs> I suppose, was I think it was um, I think it was British Airways. They had a a, a, a downtime where the no flights took off for a whole weekend. I think a couple of weeks ago i think possibly even six weeks ago um because not of actually a computer problem well it was a computer problem but it wasn't uh, the computer didn't cause a problem it was that a human caused the problem and of course we can't forget that humans are completely involved with the computers it's not that they the computers get on with it it's not you know that dystopian future yet with <laughs> sort of ai and they're just doing it all people are involved and people do make mistakes and i think in this particular circumstance um, an engineer who was supposed to be in the server room, that's his, you know, that's what he was doing, accidentally switched the power off. <laughs> I, mean, I, I laugh, but it's Was that it's to the whole happening. array of computers? Yeah, that was the whole, this whole server room. Somehow, <laughs> maybe he's having his lunch, you know, sat back, click, you know, accidentally put, sat on the power switch, I don't know. Um, it, no, just, just incidentally, that reminds me, Apple have an advert that they ran at their um, Worldwide Developer Conference, which was pretty much just that, the... The guy accidentally turned off iCloud and everything went wrong. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's sort of a bit further down on my list here. <laughs> that, that possible scenario. But, um, yeah, so actually that in itself wasn't a problem because um, all the UPS is kicked in. They interrupt all power supplies, so everything is fine. But, of course, being human, you panic slightly, and that's what caused the problem. 
it wasn't really? done in like a managed yeah it wasn't done in the proper way of switching it back on yeah. you have to go through a certain procedure so all this that there isn't a power spike and it was the power spike mm-hmm. then that then completely wiped out this whole server room from being operational so you can just imagine <laughs> the scene in this room but um yeah and so i for a whole weekend no one could get anywhere on british airways i, I think um and it's just sort of yeah it's 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 a well i suppose it's just a thing we have to accept with computers in modern life is that they don't always work and people or computers can go wrong or make mistakes uh, at different times um and other things we've seen i mean there's quite a few different arms and legs to this um but you probably couldn't fail to have heard about like the ransomware demands and particularly on the nhs although i think it was reported like the nhs had been like targeted i very much doubt that was the case and that is the thing with uh, viruses they're pretty non-discriminate they're indiscriminate they won't um, whereas you could target people with like a denial of service attack and things like that, and groups like Anonymous I thought that's might... what the NHS were attacked with. I thought it was a Trojan um, that targeted. Not it's not even a Trojan actually, but it's something that targeted out of date Windows um, yes. setups, and yes. then then would um, basically use those to um, make a denial of service attack. Is that yes, right? Yes, and it, it, it was. It was yeah, it was like a ransomware thing. So all their files got encrypted and it would say you need to pay us £250 to have your, yeah. you know, files or whatever. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a, I don't think it's true to say that they were targeted. I think it's just that they had computers that were infectable. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, that's the thing with these viruses. They'll just go out and find whatever they can infiltrate. They don't really care. You know, I can't see the developers going, oh, we should just focus on the NHS. That's just nonsense. I think no. it just so happened that someone in the NHS opened this file. Their computer was uh, vulnerable and lots of other computers on the NHS network were vulnerable. And then bingo, you've got this huge problem. Other Loads of other people were, were affected as well. It, was, it wasn't an attack on the NHS as far as I can. Logically, I don't think that would make any sense. Um, but... Um, yeah, so we've got things like this, which can, you know, bring an organisation to its knees. The NHS is partly, not themselves, but I guess the government ultimately, for not upgrading. I mean, some of these systems are running Windows XP, which is how old now? Yeah. It's not It's not in any kind of, it's been out of support for years and years. But you know what, it's not always the operating system that is at fault, because it's not a reluctance to update the operating system. It's a reluctance to update the software which is running on the operating system. Absolutely. Often, I think most of the case. So if they, if they need to move it to, say, Windows um, 10, or just move it onto Windows 7, I think was the one just prior, after Windows um, XP that was, uh, you know, so stable, um, then you need to make sure the program runs on that, which is going to be yeah. cost, I'd imagine. Yeah. And yeah, so absolutely. it's that they're avoiding. Yes, which is terrible. All, all the more reason to be running kind of like browser-based software, you know, it's, it's kind of irrelevant what your your own system is, as long as it can, re, you know, work with this other system. Um, but you're right, it is to do even with that. Then, that you, know, you know, certain browsers will have exploits and certain things might need to be patched. And Yeah, it, true. Yes, there's less to worry about, but um, yeah. it's more about a willingness to keep things up to date on a regular basis what, rather than write it once and then that's it. You don't need it, to it is, it yeah, I mean, yes. It's really difficult to manage. And I, I think I worked, I was working um, on a project... And in so doing, I found out that in certainly at the time that Lloyd's Bank had a no upgrade policy, and have to use IE six. 
So, and I'm not sure if that's all true. Again, because of these, they were using a system that was built for i6 at the time, which at the time was cutting edge, you know. It was half half a bit better than 5.5, you know. <laughs> and so that was built to that. And then for reasons, because browsers changed and IE has a lot of nuances where which you could develop specifically for and it wouldn't work in other browsers. Certainly um, did in those days, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've just, as you say, the cost to upgrade it all is phenomenal. And so they, they can't upgrade out of i6 to run their thing. And I've been into a branch of Lloyd's and actually, yeah, if you look at the screen, it is a really old version of IE that they're running this system. Well, that thing that I was working with anyway was a really old system. You think, crikey, that is a massive vulnerability in a bank, a huge bank. I, I, I do enjoy looking at um, big businesses' terminals to see what, what it is they're running, whether it's um, a browser-based system. Screwfix, I think, have a browser. I think they're pretty much using the website or a variant of the website to, mm. uh, for their ordering system for a lot of and why not? It, it works really well. You've got stock levels. Absolutely. You know, um, it's very good. And I think, yes, up-to-date businesses or recent businesses will have probably done it slightly different from the old way of having it installed on the actual computer, you know. So um, do, you, do you have any other examples of um, well, sort of too much reliance? Loads of things, yes. So um, uh, so there's this whole ransomware thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there was a problem a couple of weeks back where the banking system um, wasn't able to do their regular kind of direct debits either way, so like withdrawals or putting money in. So mm-hmm. for a couple of days, no one was getting their regular direct debit so their wages wouldn't go in and they weren't lost they it was just a delay there was just mm. a problem with the system that does this and if you think of how complex that system must be and also mm. how old it is and what it's written in i dread to think you know um it's probably not modern and who'd want to change that it'd be so scary but um there was just a problem with it i don't know what the problem was um and people you know were up in arms saying you know this is terrible um we don't have any money and i was just reading on facebook comments and I was just reading this one from this woman who said, I was unable, I think her daughter may have been, um, had diabetes or something. She was like, I was unable, we had no money, I was unable to like, get the medicine for my daughter or any food. But, and mm. literally, it was only like 48 hours where this was a problem, or maybe even 24. And you just think, crikey, you, you, know, you have no contingency plans for a problem like this. You just expect it to work. And we do have that expectation of it everything just working fine (laughs) Um, and i think that's the problem isn't it it's it's relying on um and it depends how you you take relying but let's say using using technology isn't a problem like with maps if you're trying to get somewhere um that's great and it's it's very effective it's um if often efficient and will take you there avoiding traffic jams but as is often the case when i've been traveling in um some parts of herefordshire there is no mobile signal at all so not only do you get to your location and if um, your map has run out and you need to re- reset your location and, and, and find, find a, new, um, a new navigation point, you can't do that because there's no signal whatsoever. But also you've got no ability to phone anyone. <laughs> so um, actually this, it, you're relying on that, uh, on the GPS getting you there or mm. looking at using satellite photography to look at your destination in advance so that you get a rough idea visually what it mm. might look like so that you can recognise a pub or often, a signpost or a tree. Yes, I often do that with uh, Google. Um, Street View is really good for that, for turnings. Yeah. I tend to be the navigator. So I'll be like, mm. so I'll just have a quick look in advance of what the turning is like. <laughs> and so I'll know where I'm going. 
for, particularly for that reason. It's just really useful. If, but if there's any loss of um, but but yeah, coming back to the uh, the woman um, who, yeah. who basically had money. I mean that that comes down to this this um, redundancy. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Any system you 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 don't want to be reliant on something. So she was reliant on a a system to pay the money in a given mm. time. Yeah. That um, so that you'd be able to go and spend it. And and yeah. I'm sure that happens to a lot of people because we get used to this happening. Mm. But I don't trust that. <laughs> I mean we're we're much more in control of it because it's a small business, but. Um, you know, there. If we have clients who are late paying us, I can't say, "Well, I'm sorry, Al. Um, there's there's no no funds in the bank today. We haven't been paid." Um, that's not going to fly with you. It's not going to fly with other people that we're working with. We need to have a business which has some redundancy built into it, mm. so that if that does happen, and it does all the time, constantly in business. I mean, that's what business is about: managing money. Really, at the end of the day. Um, when that happens, you're able to say, "Well, we've got alternative plans. We can do it in a different way. It's not, it's yeah. not a problem." When I when I first read it, I was I was a bit shocked, thinking, you know, that that's so important that you need the medicines and so forth. Like, there's you've got no alternatives, no redundancy, mm. like you say. I kind of call it fat as well. I quite like that phrase. You're building up fat. fat. Yeah, <laughs> um, stuff you can kind of use later. I quite like that phrase. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, and then I thought, well, what have I what am I doing? What, how much cash do I have in the house? Mm. No, none. Like £3.50, if I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, do you know what? I'm thinking, this lady isn't very prepared. I'm not very prepared. And it suddenly thought, quite, yeah, you know what? I'm reliant on cash machines giving me money, on, mm-hmm. on things all working. And imagine if it went down for a month. Imagine if it was a huge problem and it didn't work. The payment systems, in, you know, the automated payment system didn't work for a long period of time. And then I sort of took that one stage further, thinking about this sort of dystopian future where... Um, you know, automatic money doesn't work. And I was thinking... The zombie well, apocalypse, is that what yeah, you're referring well, not, to? No, no, zombies aren't involved. Regular people. <laughs> no zombies, just maybe some problem with uh, banking. Um, yeah. And I was thinking, well, you know what? Window cleaners would become the people to go to because they are loaded with cash. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as well as taxi drivers and old yeah. people who keep money in their house, theoretically, yeah. under the mattress. So, so they've got to make sure they, they, they're prepared to defend their stash. Well, I know. And you just think that would be quite an interesting dystopian future film where these, you know, uh, those, those people in those jobs suddenly become elevated to, like, the, you know, the top echelons of society because they just learn they have cash. <laughs> and you wouldn't need them very much. If, in I, a, think, in a... I think you've got a new film idea for Simon Pegg. I think that'd be good. No zombies. It's just regular day-to-day life, but just having no money and no way of paying for anything. No matter how well off you are yeah. on paper, you can't buy things. That's not very useful. So, but, um, so, yeah. what, so what you're saying, it's, a, it's about preparedness for things. So it's, I mean, mm. it's great. Technology is really useful, but what, whatever you're using it for, there should always be some f- sort of fallback, whether that's another technology using a different network or a different system. In fact, yeah. we've got this today. It, just today, it's been... Um, hampering our ability to record this podcast um we've got a fiber connection here that's what i've got you've got a fiber connection yours mm-hmm. seems to be working a lot better than mine yeah. um i think your top- fiber is actually like cotton yeah it's very fast um and works when it works works very well but um just over the past um half an hour that we've been recording it's dropped twice which is difficult and and actually over the past couple of months it's been dropping quite regularly and dropping whenever I am on a call to a client, which is not only frustrating for me, it's frustrating for them. And 
my backup and my only backup is to use a mobile phone. So at the moment, that's what we've done. I've now tethered onto the mobile phone, stuck it up against the window, and I'm using it as a, an antenna really to receive mobile internet and using the the 4G signal around here to to work um, to communicate with you. And that's fine. That's my fallback. But I have nothing else. There's no other way we can record this podcast if if the, if that internet failed or um, that you know the mobile connection failed. But I do have it. It is some fallback. Mm. And I think it is very important that whatever whatever you're using, whether it's a bit of software or a bit of hardware, that you have another way to get done uh, your work should yeah. that fail. There should like, be no excuse, really. Yeah, like I, I know when I move my desk, my office around, basically all of my online operations rely on a very old cable that I have that connects my router to the phone line. It's the only one that has the right number of pins in it. Right. <laughs> it's half snapped off. It's very small and quite flaky, but without it, nothing, nothing will work. <laughs> I don't have a backup one. I don't have a spare one. <laughs> we could probably, so, probably get another one of those. I know, I know. But it's one of those things you don't realise you need it until it breaks. Um, so, yeah. But actually, this leads me on to a, another thing, which is website-related, um, which is something that's happened in the last few days. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about this, Ben. Uh, have you heard about the photo bucket for Aurora? Uh, no. No, this is really disturbing. Um, so, photo bucket is an online photo-sharing platform. It's been around since yeah. 2004. It's free. Yes. Yeah. Typically loaded with ads when you like upload all your photos, but it it was just a really good place for people to upload photos, which they can then share on forum posts mm-hmm. and also for their own photos for their own you know for their family and just share it around. But particularly, it was used sort of um, say, let's say you're writing a how-to article on a for on a on a on a forum, you just link to the photo bucket link for the image because a lot of these forums don't allow you to upload images and things. So it's like a third-party service, you know, um, for photos. That's been that's as it's been. So there's 13 years worth of photos from all around the world uploaded to Photo Bucket, mm-hmm. and then um, and used all around the internet. That's kind of what it's for. Now this week or last week or this week, possibly earlier this week, they decided that in order for you to be able to use your images on a third-party website, that you have to pay them $400 a year, which is a ludicrous amount of money. Bearing in mind, there are already paid plans with PhotoBucket. It's not entirely free. You can pay plans mm. to have a certain amount of bandwidth and stuff. But a lot of the people using it are, uh, are sharing photos at the goodness of their heart because they know something, because they're they're helping others with photos of how-tos, like fixing an exhaust on a Vox Laster and things like this. Yeah. Um, they don't, you know, they're not making money from these photos. They they just they've helped people. So there's many. They've got 100 million users, PhotoBucket. That's 100 million people. They had no warning at all of this happening. It just suddenly happened. And instead of the images, they now have a little ransom message saying, <sighs> saying, You're, you don't have the hosting, you don't have the right package, you need to upgrade to be able to show this image here. Yeah. So that the, actual, the actual victim of this are the forum, like the job, um, like forum and, and post um, board um, owners who have got like, years and years and years of really useful content which is on google people go to you know they rely on for their income mm. uh, and now it's littered with these mess- these really annoying pictures because the original pictures are now gone instantly overnight um and there we are what can they do they can't pay the 400 dollars because it's the individual people who need to pay it yeah and they're not going to pay it so people are leaving photo bucket in their droves as you can imagine mm. and in many cases it is literally killed online forums and 
it's just a really, really bad thing to do. <laughs> Can you believe that? Because it's not, it's not what they've done that's the problem. It's how they've done it. I understand that if people have a free account and they're uploading something and then they're posting that image somewhere else, which is going to be pulled, that's, that's, that's using um, bandwidth from their servers every time that, that image is hit. So I, yeah. I understand that if you have that many users, it's going to be costly just in terms of the bandwidth and your hosting account. So mm-hmm. I understand that at some point you should charge for that. Which um, they do. They actually yeah. already do. Yeah, but it's 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 the way of announcing it. It's it's it, you pulling that rug out from under people's feet is the wrong way to do it. To give people a month or two months or three or whatever the period of time is a grace period to say this is what's going to be happening. This is how much it's going to cost, and this you know this will, is what will happen afterwards if you don't if you don't pay. While people may may not like that, at least they have a choice. I mean, you can't do anything about the images that are already up there. Um, but at least you have a choice to make sure you, you collect the images or repost them or, or do whatever you need to do. But it, you must admit that, that that is just gr- pure greed, isn't it? It is mm. literally a different form of ransoming. You know, it is such a high amount of money. Well, you could, they, they, people are already paying you could like say, look, we're going to recompress the images. So you could say, if you don't pay the full amount, what we have to do is we'll recompress your image and we'll show a very low quality version. So at least something's there. And then maybe we'll bring them over to our site so they can see the full quality one. Um, it would be better than the way they've done it, but it seems yeah. like you, they've closed it off completely. Well, yeah, I, they know, literally, I, I, I understand commercially why they've done it, but that's why really? I believe that really. Why, really? Why would, why would you alienate all of your visitors overnight commercially? No, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that. That's, how, that's can you, the thing. how can you the justify that it, amount of money? Uh, because it, it, the, that's what I was going to say is that really you want to start off with a business model that is going to earn you money. So you don't ever get into this situation. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of um, services you've seen, they've just shut down. So what they're trying to do is rather than maybe shut down, they're trying to make enough money out of it. But they, um, the, the, the point is, though, that they do already. They, they, okay. ha- they are, yeah, they're not some, they you know, enough money? some company. They, well, their system is littered with ads or anyway, so they make money from that. And they have, but they have this paid, you know, what you're saying, they, they have a, a series of paid for plans, like for monthly usage, which is a low amount, which is what you'd expect. It's a monthly thing, you know, it's recurring. And even people who are paying that now can't do it. So it is literally two fingers up to 100 million people, plus all the people who have, you know, this stuff. I mean, it's literally, it's, it's taken away a, an enormous amount of worldwide knowledge. Mm. And, and, you know, it's a bit like Wikipedia. I say Wikipedia just shut down tomorrow, you know. They can do what they want. They can um, do what they want, within reason, it's, yes. It's, I think there's ways of doing things. I mean, you'll often see, like, photo, there's various photo services or Google services, actually, where maybe Google has acquired a company. They, they bring in the talent, they bring in the IP or the software they need, and then they'll shut the program and eventually it'll disappear. And how quickly it disappears depends on how how um, many people it's going to annoy. And... It, it, is, it is frustrating and it happens all the time. Is this a better situation to say, look, we want to keep this going, but you've got to pay? I don't know. I don't think it's, they've done it in the right way at well, all. Yeah, it, it just seems like a complete greed. It is literally, it's a, it's a whole other different way of, ran, you know, like ransomware. Mm. Um, and, um, certainly, certainly to, be pay, to be paying a flat fee and you may not even be sharing that many images on there. It might be that if, if you've got an account which is, 
you uh, has so many images in, then I I can understand that you should pay for that. But as you said, you've probably got plans for that already. Yeah, indeed. Um, or they should say, look, we're going to recompress all your images. So they won't look quite as good, but they'll be good enough. And then yeah, people I mean, have to come okay. to the photo book. So there I mean, are ways of dealing with it that yeah. are better. I don't think it is come out of... Uh, it is literally agreed. It's a money-grabbing thing. And a lot of people are cynical. People are saying, you know, it's just the long game. You wait for so many users and then you you nail them with what's important to them. You know, that's kind of what it is. It's quite Don't cynical, disagree. but that's what's happened. Yeah, but um, And then I thought, well, imagine all these sites that we trust to be free. Facebook is free. People moan when Facebook doesn't work or it has a problem. No one's ever paid for it. You can't really moan about something you've never paid for. No. Uh, people do. They, they feel very personal about it. And they talk about um, uploading things to you know their Facebook and it's their content. It's not. You're writing no. for Facebook. The content you write, it's Facebook's. You're, you're all contributing to this bizarre online news magazine thing about your life. Mm. Uh, you don't own it. Uh, you're freely giving massive amount of information to Facebook and to the entire world for free. Um, and one day, what if Facebook just said, do you know what? It's $400 a year if you want to use Facebook. They could absolutely do that. What would they, how many users has Facebook got? Billions? Uh, what can well, you do? they have been doing something similar. It's not quite the same, but with Facebook pages, business pages, is that when it started, you would get a lot of reach and traffic for free. So you'd be able to put your content on and anyone who liked the page would be able to see that. And over time, that's been reducing down and reducing down because they've, they're only starting to show content on other people's timelines when it's really got a lot of comments or it's got a lot of engagement somehow. And that's even shuttering down. And I think when we spoke to Jonathan, were you on that one? Yeah, I think you were. Yeah. Jonathan Pollinger. And he was talking about zero reach in the future. And that's what they're doing. So, But they're doing it over a longer period of time. So at least people get used to it. And it's not a big, uh, a big thing. Um, but while they're doing that, they're also focusing more on ads and saying, well, actually, you can get that reach by paying for it and, mm -hmm. and moving over. Whether you like that or not, I do think that's a better way of doing it, at least, because you're starting to give people other options to pay or move away over a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think still they could come to a point where they've got some very active pages and they say, actually, you've got a really active page. We'd like to um, now <laughs> charge um, you for it, <laughs> make you pay for that. Because yeah, anyone over a certain amount of um, engagement on the page will have to pay for their premium business account. Um, well, they'll get extra tools, but then you have to pay for it as well. I mean, if you look at Photobucket as like a kind of a, a test case for Facebook, maybe, because they've done the same things. You know, they've put ads on Photobucket, then they did like a paid plan and so forth. And now they've decided to do this for whatever reason. You know, in, in 20 years, 30 years, um, maybe, you know, Facebook may change hands and... and you know, this free forever might not be free forever. We only, mm -hmm. that's only words. Um, yeah, you could see a similar situation where it's like, you know, you want all those photos and memories from your entire life? I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to get that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I guess my point is just be careful at how much, you know, you put in all your eggs in one bucket <laughs> or basket. Um, yeah, and I think, I think, when you're considering any service, and we have this as, with as much um, things like Basecamp to WordPress plugins, I think when you're going to be using it a lot and you're going to be relying on it, it's better to be paying for it. Whether you're paying for someone else to work on it so that they have enough money, um, they're earning enough money to keep doing what they're doing, um, or you're paying uh, with lots of other people for a particular service and it's making a profit. Yeah. I, 
I see that as more sustainable. There's nothing wrong with ad-funded um, software. But I think when it's funded by the people who use it, there's a much more natural mechanism to increase what they do. Mm. Um, and it's obviously Photobucket was funded by people who use it mm. um, and they're just being greedy. So it just mm. it still doesn't remove that. Um, and for example, this podcast itself, we, we use SoundCloud for hosting the back end and, and hosting all the files. Um, and we pay for premium accounts on that. It's not a huge amount of money, but it's worth paying for because you don't have to think about bandwidth and that sort of thing. But at some point, they may go, actually, for what you're using, you're going to need to pay more. And at some point, it might not feel worthwhile. And so we'd want to host it ourselves. It's actually something I mention to people a lot, the, this sort of over-reliance on other, other systems. And that while there may be some issues with managing a website yourself... Overall, if you have the domain and you're able to move that website from any system to any other system, mm. you've got a lot more control over yes. it. Yes. I mean, I made a couple of notes on things. I mean, you can't really protect yourself from everything online. But um, yes, just having come, some kind of plan in place. Let's say your hosting provider goes, you know, goes out of business or you know, triples the charge or cost or something or just says you can't use a website till you pay this. You know, what, what again, what... A redundancy do you have what what backup plans do you have what would you do and it's better to think about it when you don't have that rush than to do it at the time because mm. you'll make mistakes and you won't do it as well as possible so it's it's things like having your password like all the domain passwords and your hosting passwords that you would need to change your domain um, your website to a different hosting provider having those available again maybe not just in your email imagine if you can't get your email how are you going to do that so um having those somewhere secure you know preferably maybe on another third party service i don't know um and have having a backup hosting provider in mind that will work so finding another one an alternative one so you know exactly who you're going to use if you had to change um keeping backups not just the backups that the that the hosting provider provide for you because they might also go having a, another one so yeah it's just being over careful but you know you can over prepare there's no harm in that um if it's your livelihood at stake it's absolutely worth doing investing it might just be like a day to just to be looking into all these things setting up back you know, automatic backups um working out what you would do you know and have it having it somewhere like an emergency mm. <laughs> emergency sort of plan um it's happened to us you know um domains um may expire as well things like this what, what would you do you know so it's just thinking ahead yeah it's it's and it's not necessarily a data backup, but it's having redundancy of a system or data, whatever it might be. Mm. I, I do think um, it is worth, it's worth thinking about. Whether you can do anything about it is another matter, but at least thinking about it. And we, we've, yeah. we've actually been looking at it from a different point of view, from a, a data um, retention, you know, how much data should we hold? Where should we store it? And that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and that's similar because you're looking at data and you're saying, well, the more data you hold, the more complex it becomes. So really, just like... Um, uh, anything in life, the simpler you can make it, the simpler it makes it for for all the different processes and procedures around it. So mm. we've been going through that process, and it's going to make it a lot easier to know what we're backing up, where we're backing it up to, um, and what redundancy we need for a lot of these systems. There's some new laws coming into place as well soon um, regarding there, data ownership and, and what you're doing with it. I think it's more are. for the big companies. I think I know it, it applies to Evan. It's something it's something we are looking into, and we'll share it once we know more. And we've we've got we've got a bit more tied down. But like everything coming from 
um, government and particularly ICO, the uh, is it in, in Information Commissioner's Office. It's yeah. always a bit interesting and woolly to look to look at. But we'll yeah. once we drill into that, we will look further. Um, I think it's it's particularly important from um, a mailing list point of view um, and where you store data. So making sure that you that the data you store that people know what you're storing, but also that you're not keeping data for any longer than you need it or any longer than, than is allowed. But um, yeah, that that could be good. Something good to talk about maybe in a couple of months once we've uh, found out more. Mm. Definitely was, have to go into that. There was just one more thing I wanted to add on this um, um, sort of computer program thing, and that's obviously keeping things up to date. That helps with the security aspect. Um, obviously, you know things like Windows XP isn't up to date, but like with WordPress, you can keep that up to date. Plugins up to date, and that's great. But weirdly, another hack that happened in the last few weeks was from an updating system. So um, there was a an accountancy package used mainly in the Ukraine area. Mm-hmm. And the updating system to like keep, which is the first thing you would do if there was a problem, update your software. In fact, it does it automatically. That had been hacked. And so everyone who was using the software got this, literally got this, you know, malware, virus, ransomware stuff because they updated. So that is a worry. And you again, you rely on that system and WordPress as well. You rely on the WordPress system to update. You don't imagine that could be infected or could have a problem. But imagine if that update system for WordPress downloaded, you know, a com- you know a completely WordPress killing thing onto how many websites in the world all yeah. at once? I mean, devastating. So, so that again, would only take, say, um, a plugin which maybe has some per- certain permissions for file access. It would take someone to get access to where that plugin's update data is, make the changes there, and then when that sends a signal saying there's an update available, everyone mm-hmm. goes, well, that looks fine. And, and, yeah. and, and what, what tends to happen is that the developer actually makes a real update and yeah. then someone will go in and tweak the code and add something on. Yeah. So the release notes are all correct. Everything is correct. Maybe even the, the, the way the data is um, encrypted and signed is correct. It's, um, and then it's downloaded. And, then, and, then, and until it can get shut off, um, and I'm not sure what... Um, WordPress has in the way of that, but until it can get shut off, you know, that's going to people are vulnerable to that. I'm not, I'm not heard about that so much yet in WordPress. No, but, but definitely I'm... in terms of software downloads from yeah. um, that that don't go through. Um, certainly on the Mac, I think if they're not going through the Mac Store, the Mac App Store, then that is a a potential for any any program can run and do do anything on there. But imagine if the core WordPress updating system was malfunctioning. So oh, that, that is a dystopian future. Yeah. It is. I'm just saying <laughs> because we've seen it with that other software. I'm sure they never thought it would happen to them, but yeah. it did. So and, yeah. and 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 you you can't guarantee. I mean, WordPress is a big company, and they do make money from their um, their dot com side of the business, where they have a sort of a, a pay per model. And so they do make money, and you, it's in their interest to make sure their brand is protected and their integrity is protected. But the only best way you can protect against that is um, maybe to wait before you update um, too, too regularly, but not too long, that you're going to mm-hmm. have any vulnerabilities kicking in in between that time. But also to take backups, because yeah, if it yeah. does go wrong, it's something you can fix reasonably quickly and get mm-hmm. back up and running. And again, it's your plan of how you would do that, what you would do, what you would delete, how you would do it. These yeah. things to think about in, in advance, very useful. Cool. Should we move we- on? We should move on. And I've got a podvert, um, okay. which actually um, came in while we were recording last time. So I missed it. And this is from at Stroud Cluster. And this is what they put in their tweet. Cluster is, a, is an amazing co-working space for digital creatives in Chalford. Great coffee. 
I can agree with that and good company. And you can get them on stroudcluster.com. Um, and I'll just give you my input on cluster. Now, I went there recently for the WWDC screening, which is the Apple's developer conference. And so there's a group of us came to watch that. And it's like going to the cinema. It's great. Um, and Mark from the cluster very kindly hosted that with lots of lovely food and drinks. Um, so thank you very much to Mark and Adam. Um, but it's a really nice space down in, in between Stroud and Sirencester. You've got Chalford and it's a lovely space there. Really nice studio space. And they've got a couple of, um, in fact, quite a few residents who will um, who, who work there. But also you can just pop in and, and have like five or ten days a month. It's a really nice space. And I know Lou, um, my wife and copywriter, she, she's been down to work there a lot. So I can, if anyone's in the area, highly recommend going there. Really nice creative um, people from designers to iOS programmers, so definitely worth visiting. Um, Al, I don't think we've got time to get onto the next topic. When is my site ready for launch? Really? I don't think we. Do. I don't think we do. We've been talking for quite some time. Yeah, mm -hmm. we've really dived into the other one. Can we keep that for next time? Okay. And and I just want to quickly talk about QR codes. Okay. How exciting is that? Um, so you just heard about these. <laughs> Well, I, QR codes, when they came out, they were really exciting. And, and basically, everyone was trying to push them onto anything, particularly from our point of view. I even had one person wanting them on a website. And I said, that doesn't, that's not really uh, needed because they wanted to send someone to a link or something like that. I don't think they quite got it. Um, I, I've always seen a little bit of a potential in QR codes because when, when the software is working correctly, they're recognized very quickly and they can uh, either provide text or a link which can send you to a browser. But... Their one, the one stalling point with them is that they've never been built into the device that I'm using. You would always have to have a separate application or bit of software to run them mm. uh, because they, you know, QR codes for those not familiar look like little um, eight bit random dots of graphic. You know, they're, they're, I don't know how big they are. They are 20 by 20 or 30 by 30 dot grid. And it just looks like a little pattern of white dots and black dots. Um, mm. But essentially, it's just enough data, like a barcode for a computer to recognize. And you can actually store data in there. Um, you can actually store passwords in it as well. Anything, really. It's just ASCII data, text data. Um, but they've always not been particularly useful because my iPhone has not had it in. So, uh, And a lot of people, it's not been the default app. So you can't just hold your camera over a QR code and it instantly recognizes it. In iOS 11, they have uh, introduced this facility that if you hover your camera over a QR code, it will pop up a notification and you can tap it and it'll take you straight to that website or it'll give you that bit of text or it'll give you that phone number, whatever is embedded within that QR code. And I've always thought that until this happens, they'll never be useful really for, yeah. for general purposes. Mm -hmm. I think they're useful if you want to share information between two apps and you can, uh, one app has a QR code and the other person can share data that way by taking a picture of it in their app to swap details. But for the general purpose use, it's, it's I think it's, it's time to shine come, mm. come you, um, October, whenever it comes out. Do you think I'll kickstart QR codes? Because I don't see them, I do see them around, but I kind of ignore them a bit. I don't really use them. I never really, I, I, maybe for the reasons that you're saying, that it's not really a native thing that your, you know, your phone does. Do you, think it's, do you think they're a exactly. bit behind? Do you think they're a bit? Do you think it'll get used, or do you think it's a bit too late now? It could be too late. I think one of the reasons they've come in is that um, in Asian, and I, I'm being very general here because I'm, mm. I think is it WeChat 
There's a lot of services over in Asia where they do use QR codes a lot for transferring data quite quickly, peer-to-peer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So by that, I mean it's not having to send anything over the internet. It's basically one camera is looking at another device and picking up the information directly. It's very quick. It can be very effective. Um, and it's very secure because you have to have line of sight between them. Oh, I believe it's secure. There's no sort of invisible data transfer happening. Do you think, um, um, I'm, again, my dystopian future here, do you think people will then start misusing them? Because if your camera, if your phone just does whatever it sees on a, a QR code, you know, is that, is that okay? I guess you have I think to kind of prove it. I think well, I was in some stationary traffic and I tried to test it. Um, it's only on my iPad at the moment. And I was holding up the iPad um, and there was a truck in front of me which had a QR code on it. It didn't recognize it. It was just too far away. But if you're hovering your phone over a QR code, so it's going to fill at least half of the screen, it will pick yeah. it up. It's, just, it's, okay. it's possible. People could send you to a link that will then um, show you something you don't want to see or have um, malware in it that will be downloaded. It's possible. I'd actually feel quite safe on an iOS device, an iPhone or an iPad, yeah. that that is not going to be too much of a problem. Mm. Um, and that may be one of the reasons why they've not done it, and maybe they have something in place to sort this out. Um, along with this, I don't think it's technolo- technologically related, but it's a, a similar sort of process. Apple have also opened up the NFC reader on their iPhone. So um, I think it's from iPhone 6S. They had an N- NFC reader built in or, or, or transceiver so it can receive and send at least uh, NFC signals for um, Apple Pay. So you can make payments on um, contactless units. Well, then they've actually opened that up for software to be able to read that. So again, from a marketing point of view, it's possible to embed these very cheap NFC stickers or, or, or chips um, in various different places. And then you can just sort of wave your phone over it. And if you're using a particular app, it's going to ping up some information. So mm. I don't know. And with that, I don't know if Android has it built in, but it's certainly much easier to get it built into the default camera. Um, never possible with iOS until that was done. So I'm interested mm. to see how that's going to go and whether they're mm. going to be more useful. Mm. Mm. We shall see. Any thoughts on that, Al? QR codes? Well, no, I'm just not a big QR code sort of user. You know, I yeah. almost think, as I say, I kind of ignore them. They might, they well... Really, they don't really... They don't really um, not really applicable to me in some way, you know? I think if you... Um, do, do you remember when I was talking about that tiny printer? Do you remember that little little thermal oh, yeah. thermal printer yeah. from a while ago? Yeah. I remember the talk that the, uh, the um, developer of that gave, or the, the inventor of that gave, which was he was looking for technology which was established but not exciting anymore. And so <laughs> how can he reuse that? Because when you have technology that's not exciting anymore, it's cheap. It's a commodity. It's available. And it's this bell curve of excitement. I, I can't remember. I have to dig back out what the particular <laughs> podcast was. Um, I'm just going to make a note about that now. Or like a fax machine, for podcast, example. Podcast, tiny printer. Yeah, fax machine is that the same, exactly the same. But actually, that, um, that used thermal paper. But that came a, a bit before. So you had receipt printers and using the little narrow thermal paper. And this tiny printer oh, no. did the same thing. I, I meant um, this like, old technology that isn't exciting anymore. It kind of is quite clever. Fax machine. Fax machines, really what they do is pretty amazing. Um, they're just... They're you know, a bit... I, I still see people putting fax machine numbers on their website. Yeah. And I, I think, do you ever get faxes? Yeah. I don't know. I think Let us know. I have no idea if, it's, if that's still a thing. Yeah, I would love to know that. There are some people who feel they do need it. There are some 
some things that do need it, but I'd imagine that it tends to be very specific and niche. And, you know, you've already got the fax machine, you continue using it. I think um, it might still be the case. You can kind of use it. It's got a signature on it and it's a kind of legally okay thing. Although it really yeah. just is a load of dots <laughs> you could yeah. print out from an email. Yeah. But, um, I think there's yeah. also, you know, it's been sent because of the way it's sending it. It's sending it live direct. It's not like an email, which is relaying it through other services. I know. Um, you don't know who's picked it up but, at the other end. It could be anyone. Anyone could pick no. it up at the other end, couldn't they? <laughs> but thinking of what, what um, this guy was talking about, I can't, I can't remember his name, but the tiny printer inventor guy. Um, I, I think QR codes were exciting. They had a lot of potential and promise. Um, and, and, and people pick them up from a marketing point of view. But I wonder now it's died down. Actually, we can find practical uses for them where they are useful. So we're not just going to ban them on every bit of marketing material. But now mm. we know that a certain percentage of phones will be able to read them, and perhaps, you know, a good mm. majority, they might be useful again. Mm. We yeah. shall see. I like so the idea of coloured ones. I like the idea yeah. of coloured ones. They do look a bit bland. I like the idea of multicolored ones, just, you know, can make them even more visually interesting. Well, the other good thing about them is they're very easy to create. There's lots of um, software and websites that will do it for you for free. So it's mm. really easy to create QR codes and print them out and, and mm. copy and paste an image and put it on anything. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of potential. And um, I'm developing a little car game with my son and it's all sort of 8-bit style blocky. And I'm wondering whether actually, we, I wonder if we could incorporate QR codes in there to link into a little iPhone app and play around with it. I don't know. There's, I think there's some playful stuff you can do with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, we shall see. I, I, I have a, I'm, I've got, got a vote of confidence for QR codes that we might see a bit more um, use out of them yet. We shall watch this space. Or... Yeah. <laughs> we've got to make predictions in this world Al otherwise nothing happens um, well, we've you've got... heard my predictions it's not good <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got to wrap up I've got one more podvert before we sign off um, and that is for at Louise Jenner one who is the dream coach she's lovely I met her for a faster business review um, probably a month or so ago um, she's great. I think I learned about as much off her as um, she gave to me uh, as I gave to her. So um, it was a really, uh, I think we swapped a lot of knowledge. So her podvert was hashtag your dream job, how to find it and get hired to do it. Download a free ebook and you can go to louisejenner.com slash ebook. Again, I'm going to publish all of these in the show notes. So do click through, have a look at these uh, Stroud cluster and, and uh, the dream job coach. So we've got to finish for today. Um, I think it's been good. Um, it's a shame we couldn't dive into why my site isn't ready for why my, when my site is ready for launch. But I think that wow. that's a topic that can take. We weren't launch, we weren't so. quite ready for it. Clearly, <laughs> we weren't ready for launch on it. Um, but we will next time, and um, hopefully everything's backed up, so we're not relying too much on one recording to do the job. Um, I would actually like to talk about our process and how we record things, and it might be good to get um, Donal, who actually edits the podcast on, and maybe another podcast. We can have a bit of a roundtable about it because I, I think it is interesting, and I think again, there's a lot mm. of mileage in podcasts, yeah. people to promote themselves. So. Interesting. That'd be exciting too. Mm. But for now, we should go. Um, okay. I'll see you on Sunday, Al. Look Indeed. forward to it. Um, you can find Al on Twitter at Inventive Al. I'm at Ben Kinnaird. And um, do go and have a look at our book. You can search for it online, Be Sociable Ben, or you can visit ratherinventive.com. Scroll to the bottom, add in your email and sign up and you'll get the book instantly. Good speaking to you, Al. Take Thank care you. and see you later. Okay, bye. Bum, 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 bum,
Dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it bum, dick it